Seven weeks ago, my sister was rushed to hospital because she'd had a major stroke and she was given three to four days to live. And she's still with us. Thanks to you lovely people praying for her over the last seven weeks. Please continue to pray. She's no cannulas in and she's now having purid food and she's getting so cheerful. So thank you very much for praying for her. Uh, you were all given a copy of the reading when you came in, but if you haven't, it's on page 1180 of the Church Bible. And the reading is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to chapter 5, verse 1. Formerly, when you did not go know God, you were slaves to those who by nature were not gods. But now you know God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear, fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, and even though my illness was a trial to you, to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Indeed, you welcomed me as if I were an, an angel of God, as it were, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I be now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people who are zealous to win you over, but for no good, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal from, for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in, in you, how I wish it could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham <coughs> had two sons, one of them by a slave woman, and the other by a free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, 
but it is his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This was Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the, but the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud. You who are never in labor because more are children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now, but what, the spirit, what does the spirit say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but children of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. This is the word of God. Thanks, Peter. Me with myself. There we go. Yeah, what a reading. Gosh, it's quite a uh, full-on intense reading. I've actually given you um, a little handout just because um, I'm going to break it down into little um, subdivisions or whatever you want to call them. So today, in Paul's letter, Paul begins by reminding the Galatians what a miserable life they had before they knew Jesus as God. Paul reminds them that true Christianity is not about what you know about God. It's actually about knowing God. It's about having a close, personal relationship with God through Jesus and being transformed into his image, his image. Paul is telling them that to know God and then turn away from him back to a life of bondage to laws and rules is equivalent to worshipping idols. This, of course, is Paul's opinion. But Paul is shocked that the Galatians could ever consider such a thing. I've had an intimate relationship myself with Jesus for a long, long time, as I'm sure many of you have. Um, and I believe that if I didn't have Jesus in my life, I, I really think my life would be devoid of all meaning. I can't even begin to imagine uh, what life would be like if I didn't know God and live my life to serve him. It's, it's funny, this morning, Scarlett, you came up with a, a memory on um, Facebook 
and it was um, the Olympics when we started the Olympics in 2012, wasn't it? And that was my start at journeys for priesthood because we were in Ireland at the time. Uh, and, I, and I got it. I knew Jesus way be, before then. But that was a turning point in my life. I, I can't imagine life without Jesus Christ in, in, in my life. Like I say, it would be devoid of all meaning. To know God means to know his character, which includes qualities such as his love, his goodness, grace, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, peace, joy, holiness, uh, and many other wonderful qualities I'm sure that we can all think about. It's not just about knowing these qualities logically. We also need to experience them emotionally. God is with us at all times, always ready to help us. Uh, and that should give us a great comfort and remove, it should remove any fear and worry we may have. Unfortunately, we're human beings, so that doesn't always happen. Paul mentions being known by God and says how wonderful it is knowing God. Don't we all want to know God? Don't we all want to be known completely by someone who's going to accept us and love us just for who we are? Of course we do. And that's what God does, accepts us. God knew every one of us even before the foundations of the earth were created. He saw us in the future and has written down every day of our lives. He knows every thought we think before we think it. That's quite frightening sometimes, isn't it? He knows every thought before we even think it. And every word we will speak out of our mouths before we say it. Our Father not only knows us better than anyone else, he knows us even better than we know ourselves. So there's no point in trying to hide anything from God because he already knows everything. With God, we don't need to pretend. We don't need to hide and we certainly don't need to make any excuses. Jesus told his disciples that he chose them. They didn't choose him. This doesn't mean we don't have free will. The truth is we're not even obliged to serve God but it does mean that everything starts with God. We cannot come to him unless he draws us in. The way God chooses us can be like a couple going to an orphanage, seeing a child, feeling love for that child, and then choosing to adopt that child to be their adopted son or daughter. Paul is trying every way he can think of to help the Galatians understand what they are considering giving up. He fears for them and he's concerned that all the hard work he's put into them is going to be wasted. It sounds to me that Paul is a little bit puzzled and confused about how they could even consider such a thing. So Paul pleads with the Galatians and explains how we need Jesus in our lives and how we need to depend on Jesus alone for our salvation. The Galatians prior to Paul, had formerly worshipped pagan gods and goddesses. And of course, these gods were lifeless and unable to communicate. Yet they seemed to have created a god for everything, from bearing children to growing crops. The Galatians did so many different gods. They were usually afraid of these gods they worshipped. And in some cultures, even sacrificed their children to pacify the gods' anger. When, anger, uh, when anything went wrong in their lives, they assumed that they had angered gods. It must have been a pretty awful way of life. Why on earth would he want to go back to that? Now, although the Israelites worshipped Yahweh, our God, they did so as though they lived under the law. 
And although that was, a very diff was very different from worshipping idols, Paul knew that the same demonic influences that worked through these idols were now working through the Judaizers. Judaizers who had crept among them and were trying to draw them back into this bondage of law. Paul asked them why they'd gone back to observing certain days and festivals to the weak, miserable forces that they'd once held them in bondage. They were following certain days on the calendar, ceremonial as a matter of religious obligations. And these things, of course, have no power. Celebrating holidays or special days set aside for worshipping God is not wrong, but depending on them as a means of gaining God's favour or acceptance is entirely wrong. We're, just, we're going to come to 13 and 14. Paul mentions a personal illness. Now, we don't have any specific information about Paul's illness, uh, but it's apparent it's something to do with his eyes. Perhaps they were infected. Maybe they were infections oozing out. Can you imagine? Perhaps they were very infected, and maybe they had a foul odour. I wonder if this illness made Paul wonder what happened to love that they once had for him. Pagans often thought somebody with a disfigurement was under demonic influence, but this wasn't the case with Paul, at least not at first. The Galatians actually liked Paul, especially the word of God that he brought to them, the love, the acceptance, the freedom that, it, this, that this Jesus is telling them about gave them. We usually love and accept those who brings God's word to us because it's their hard work that helps change our lives and it's the right thing to do. As we go on to 16 and 20, unfortunately this situation deteriorates to the point where the Galatians started to turn against Paul. I know the pain that Paul must have felt and it must have been deep and, and quite intense. Paul felt as though he was their father and they were his children. He writes to them as a wounded lover, wondering how he could have become their enemy by simply telling them the truth. A minister's job is to preach and teach the truth of God's word, um, but not everybody wants to hear the truth, mainly because the truth will convict us of sin and require us to change. So if we're not ready to obey, the truth can make us feel very uncomfortable. The Judaizers were jealous of Paul and tried to win the Galatians away from the flattery. It, verse 17 tells us, these people are zealous to win you over. But for no good, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Being able to discern when someone is charming us merely to get something from us rather than a genuine love for us and offering us a genuine encouragement is very important. Paul encourages the Galatians to follow his example of following Christ. Paul constantly refers to them as dear children. And once again, he reminds them that it will be in anguish until Christ is actually formed inside of them. Paul finishes this section by saying he wishes he could be with them face to face. Paul is so concerned for them, he actually changes the tone of his writing. It sounds to me that Paul is really in agony over this whole situation. Paul has gone from calling them fools to now pouring his heart out and he's wanting a response. We come to Galatians 21:31. It's a long section, is this? Paul uses a story 
from the Old Testament to make a major point to the Galatians. The Jews or the Israelites, of course, called Abraham their father for centuries, even before Paul writes to the Galatians. You see, God had made a promise to Abraham and his descendants because the Jews were descendants from Abraham. They felt all the promises that God had made belonged to them and no other race of people. Abraham walked with God by faith, not according to the law, because the law wasn't given till Moses came, which was 430 years later. Abraham would later be called Abraham, lived in a city called Aaron. God called Abraham to leave his family because they were idol worshippers. Genesis 12 tells us God promised to bless him and make him a blessing. Abraham did as God instructed and left Aaron and we're told that he didn't trouble his mind about where he was going to go. Abraham followed God day by day in faith. Isn't it incredible that God actually searches the earth looking for those that he can work with and work through? And he found this in such a man as Abraham. In Genesis 15, 1-6, God visits Abraham, again telling him that he would be his shield and that he would be his, reward, his reward would be exceedingly great. Abraham asked God what he could possibly give him since he was childless and therefore had no heir to inherit his blessing when he died. He asked God if he would have to leave all he had to a servant in his house. Then the word of God came to Abraham, telling him he would have a child, his very own son, to be his heir. And Abraham faithfully believed God. I'm sure you know this story. And, and forgive me uh, for recapping it, but that, that's exactly what Paul was doing with Galatians. He's telling them something that they already know. I, I, I see that throughout this book of Galatians all the time. Grace, 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 grace. And that's what he wants us to have. That's what Paul wants us to understand. And that's exactly what he was doing with Galatians. And that's for us today as well. Naturally speaking, having a child for Abraham's wife, Sarah, it must have been impossible because they were long past the age when they could have children. Sarah was 75 years old, but Abraham believed God and that faith was counted to him as righteous. Abram was made righteous by faith in God's promise, just as we're made righteous by placing our faith in Jesus as our Redeemer. Abram was not made righteous by following the law, but by faith. Abram asked how he could know this promise would come true, and God made a blood covenant with him. After that, God told Amram that he was to keep the covenant by circumcising every male eight days old and older. He further said that any male that was not circumcised would be cut off from his people because he had broken God's covenant. We see that God did, he did ask Abraham to show faith. But faith comes first and it was his faith, not circumcision, that made him right with God. Many things done under the old covenant were types and shadows of things that will be fulfilled, uh, fulfilled or happen under the new covenant. Under the old covenant, circumcision was literally cutting away the flesh. However, under this new covenant, the believer is expected to no longer walk according to fleshy ways. We also cut away the flesh, not with a, a knife, but with a daily decision to live for Christ rather than ourselves. 
Abraham and Sarah waited a long time. And yet after many years, of course, as you know, they still didn't have children. So what do they do? They act their own plan to get what they wanted. Instead of waiting on God, Sarah gave unmade Agar to Abraham, his second wife, thinking she could have a child through Agar. Agar did become pregnant, and after Agar despised and looked with content on her mistress Sarah, Ishmael was named, uh, was born and named, uh, sorry, Ishmael was the name of the child born from this union, and Ishmael's name means war. Abraham and Sarah got what they wanted, but it caused him much grief in the years to come. But remember that Agar bearing a child was not God's plan. That's not God's plan. As we know, God is merciful. And once again, Abraham was 99 years old. He appeared to him and told him he would be the father of many nations. You know, Abraham gives me a lot of hope. He only ever encountered God once every 14 years. When we read it, we think he must have had this incredible relationship with God all the time. But it's only once every 14 years And we have this amazing story. That gives me some great hope, does that? It really does. When were it? 2012. I'm nearly there for my next 14 years. As we know, Abraham changed his name to Abraham. And again, this means father of a multitude. And Sarah became Sarah, which means princess. Scarlet, princess. Abraham assumed that God meant his promise would come through Ishmael. But Abraham, again, Abraham was wrong. Eventually, when Ishmael was about 14 years old, the promised child was born to Abraham and Sarah. And he was named Isaac. And again, his name means laughter. The works of our flesh, or to put it another way, our plans always cause war and trouble. But waiting for God's promise brings happiness and laughter. We don't always see that, friends. We don't always see that. (coughs) Paul uses this story of Abraham to teach the Galatians that the works of the law or the flesh will cause them misery. But walking in faith in the promises of God is going to bring them joy. He said these two children represented two covenants, Ishmael, born of a slave woman, and Isaac, born of a free woman. Agar represents bondage, while Sarah represents freedom and joy. This story gives us a clear picture of what our lives will be like if we follow the law instead of walking in faith. For a while, Ishmael and Isaac grew up together, but eventually God told Abraham to cast out the slave woman and her son because he could not inherit the son, uh, he could not inherit with the son of the free woman. I believe all Christians begin their walk with God with a mixture of faith and works. But I'd like to think that as we mature, the works of the law, the flesh, must be cast out so that we can inherit all that God asks for every one of us. And I refer to the works of the law as works of flesh because we struggle in the flesh to keep those laws. And our reward is struggle, frustration, disappointment and failure. But when we learn to live by faith, We start to experience righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's from Romans 14. We can only hope the Galatians observed Paul's warning warning and turned him away from the deception of trying to mix the law with grace. But we've no definite proof one way or the other. 
Some commentaries or experts believe that the Galatians changed the ways. Others tell us of a different outcome, but actually, we're not sure. We don't know if they took Paul's word or not. I think what I'd like to say is that they had a choice to make, just as we do. We're presented with the truth. Paul gives them the truth, and only they can decide how they're going to live their lives from that way forward. This loving warning from the Apostle Paul is intended also for us today, just as it was for the Galatians. Gaining freedom is one thing, but maintaining it is quite a different story. Satan constantly tempts us to come back under the law. We repeatedly find it difficult to believe we cannot earn something from God by our own good works. But again, I want to stress that our works should be done for God because of God the Father's done for us in Christ, not in order to get him to do something good for us now. All of these promises come to buy us his grace. We become partners with God and he gives us a part to play in seeing his will come to pass. He gives us things to do, but our motive for doing them is most important. We should always obey gladly with the motive of giving and not getting. Jesus said, if we love him, we will obey him. He didn't say, if you obey me, I will love you. Rather, we love him because he first loved us. God's love is a free gift. It fills us. And then only then can we give him that love back in return. I recommend that every day you take some time to meditate on God's unconditional love for you. Think about it, read about it, and confess the scriptures that tell you about it. Ephesians 3.17 tells us we are able, uh, we are to be rooted deep in God's love. And when we are, there is nothing, no one, and no amount of trouble in the world that can separate us from the love of God. That's ours through Jesus. The more we recognise him, the more we realise how God loves us, the more we gladly obey him in all things. I want to come to Galatians 5.1, that little passage. Do you know I could do an old sermon on that little passage alone? Excuse me. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. As we start to look at Galatians 5 and 6, we see a practical part of Paul's letter. The Galatians have been living free from the law and he urges them to maintain the freedom that they'd previously enjoyed. They'd been delivered not only from sins, but also from rules and regulations of the old covenant. As Gentiles have not lived under the law of the old covenant, but I'm sure that as idol worshippers, they were very familiar with these legalistic trappings of any religion without Jesus at its centre. They certainly were accustomed to making sacrifices to appease their angry false gods or if events were going their own way. In accepting Jesus, they're finally set free and Paul is desperate for him to stay that way. Believers in one true God can now walk in a place that they've not walked in before. They're no longer under the law and they have this great privilege of being invited to follow the Holy Spirit rather than doing as they please according to their own flesh. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can they live holy, righteous lives and glorify God. Paul urges them again 
not to get caught, not to get caught out in the yoke of slavery that they've previously put off. You know, many years ago, I had a friend, um, and this, when I first met this friend, he were, um, he were a drug addict. Um, and for some reason, I just connected with this guy. Um, I ended up loving him like a brother, if I'm really honest. Um, but he were in a pretty oppressed, miserable state when I first met him. And uh, he came to work for me. He just started off washing pans and just doing a little bit here and there. Um, and I took him under my wing, and eventually I got him cleaned up, this guy. And uh, he came off drugs, uh, and he would no longer... You know, one of the big things I find with people with addiction is it, it's not the addiction themselves that crushes them. It's the trying to break free of the addi- addiction. It, it, it's such a big thing, and it crushes people. Trying to break free of the addiction, it, it, it's as bad as the addiction itself. But I got this free, I got this guy free, came off it, took him a long time, uh, and, he, and he got this complete freedom where he wasn't relying on his addiction. It were, it were incredible to witness. But as with many people that have an addiction, one of the main things I find in life is, is, is life itself. If we have a normal life and we don't have an addiction or something like that, we just naturally get on with life. If you've lived a, a, a life like this guy did, and then all of a sudden you, you have these responsibilities in life, it, it's a lot to take on board. And it's the responsibilities that actually started to make him change back to the way that he was before. He couldn't cope with the responsibility of everyday life that probably more, most of us here don't even think about. And it oppressed him, it depressed him, and it made him go back to his old lifestyle of bondage. In, in fact, it ended up killing him not long before. Everything went wrong. He had an amazing life. He didn't. He had a terrible life, but he got this amazing life, and then he couldn't cope with it. He went back to it. He turned back to alcohol. Alcohol became his, his addiction this time. This, in essence, is what Paul is doing. The Galatians were not drug or drink addicts, but they were in great danger of falling back into the bondage of law. They've been under law. They've seen Jesus. Jesus has given them this freedom. Don't worry about law. We live in faith. And then these Judaizers came and, oh, we need to go back to his own way. So they start going back to old ways. It's the same as my friend. Started off with drugs, got free, alcohol. The bondage of laws being motivated to perform certain actions because of fear, displeasing God, and they didn't follow the religious rules and make sacrifice for their sins. God doesn't want us to serve him out of fear of his anger, but because our love, our appreciation for all that he does for every one of us on a daily basis and continues to do so. It's a really stark message, is this in Galatians, I find. I find it really challenging. But I think many of us, we, you know, we say we live a good life, we say we're Christians. But quite often, you know, let's be really honest, we don't always live that Christian life that we, we, we call to do. I know I do. I, I fail. Ten Commandments, I fail at first hurdle. I said that other week. I think I'm going to stop there. I'm going to invite the band back up, though, while I just finish off. I just want us to be still for a few moments. And I just want you to hear these words. If Christ is of no value 
to us at all. If we depend on the law to justify us, and if that was the case, Christ would have died in vain and we would be fallen from grace. But instead of that, we have freedom. We have the opportunity to live by faith. We have the opportunity to know that we are justified and made right with God through our faith in Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you that I've been set free by Christ and I'm no longer under bondage to law. Thank you that through the Holy Spirit's work within, I am enabled to live my life for others and not for selfish inclinations. Continue to work in me and through me so that I may live a life that is pleasing to you and glorifying to your holy name. Father, keep us from falling back to that bondage, to those legalistic practices. And just allow us to know that we have been set free by your grace through faith in Christ's finished work on Calvary. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing Jesus Be the Centre, but I'm going to suggest that we actually remain seated for this. And um, just think about what I've said there about living a life in bondage, coming to Christ. Sometimes we slip back. We, we need to be up there. We need to live a life as best as we can, but certainly with Jesus at the very centre of everything we do. So as we do sing, I just want you to imagine Jesus at the centre of your church, the centre of your lives and everything that he does for us and you. <laughs>